Franklin D. Roosevelt got tired of how nobody seemed to be listening to a word he was saying at those uh, fancy White House receptions that they would often have. As he gave that big smile and would greet people, everyone else seemed to be so concerned with what they had to say and seemed to not pay attention to what he was saying. So one evening he decided to have a little fun. Each person that came up to him with an extended hand at the next uh, White House reception, he flashed that big smile and he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. <laughs> Very first person he said that to said, how lovely. The next one commented, that's just splendid, Mr. President. Continue on with your great work, another said. Someone even said, we're so proud of what you've done. Nobody was listening to what he was saying except for one foreign diplomat. When the, when the president leaned in and said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat responded, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, but I think also kind of true, unfortunately, about the world we live in. We are not very good at listening. Nobody... Uh, seem to be listening to President Roosevelt, and maybe you are thinking to yourself, nobody seems to really be listening to me or, or to anybody. We are living in this world where everybody's opinions seem to matter so much, and we want to tell everybody our opinions so much, which is a shame because listening is such a foundational part, it seems, to the pattern of life. I mean, we even listen before we are aware of it. From within the womb, an unborn child is already hearing the voices of their parents. And after birth, and the child comes, spends the next uh, a few months hearing the words, absorbing the, the, the words and the sounds and the songs of their parents, and pretty soon they are echoing those back to their parents, one imperfect syllable at a time. Those of you who have mastered a foreign language, I have never been able to do that. Maybe it's because I'm not a good listener. Know how important it is to hear the language spoken by others so that you can reproduce it accurately. Boy, wasn't our worship today so wonderful? Thank you all for leading us. If you want to be a good musician, what do you do? You spend time listening, right, to other good musicians, and it rubs off on you, inspires you, teaches you how to do things in music, to make beautiful music. Psychologist and marriage researcher John Gottman says, one of the leading gauges for measuring a happy marriage is whether spouses allow themselves, listen now, to be influenced by the other person. Which means, he says, the couple is listening to each other because our choices and actions involve following ears, following your ears. Apparently, listening is important in marriage, who knew? These are just a few examples, right, of the many we could give of how listening is foundational to the pattern of life. The Bible testifies to it, too. We get this really cool picture of, of the primeval universe right there at the beginning of Genesis, and we learn that it is formless and void, but somehow it seems to have an ear because the first action is to listen to the voice that pierces the darkness. 
God commands light and the cosmos hears and obeys and, and, though it's, and through its acts of listening, order and harmony come into that void and darkness. And then after God creates the first humans, their very first act is to just listen to the blessing, be fruitful and multiply. This is a gift for you. Take care of it, this garden. The centerpiece of Israel's prayer life, remember we just studied it a couple weeks ago in our Fixer Upper series, the Shema begins with the word what? Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In fact, the Hebrew word Shema literally means hear. This was their daily prayer, every morning, every night. They had this focus from dawn until dusk to listen to God. Listening is the first act, you could arguably say, of the disciples as they follow Jesus' instructions to cast their nets and catch all those fish. And then they listen as they drop their nets and follow Jesus when he calls. And then as Jesus continues to do his ministry with his disciples, he urges them time and again, he who has an ear, let him hear. Paul declares in Romans 10, faith comes from what we hear. These are just a few of the over 150 times in Scripture it tells us of the importance of listening. It is clear, listening is a foundational pattern to life, especially our spiritual lives. But judging by how poorly we do it in our society today, I wonder if we have forgotten how foundational it is. I have been reading a book over the past few weeks that is called The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. I don't know if any of you have read it. If you have not, I would highly recommend it. The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. Uh, I'd like to read you a few paragraphs, and I'm going to read several sections. I wasn't just being lazy in my sermon prep this week, but I'm going to read you several times from his book because it's good stuff. I just thought you should hear it how he says it. So I want to read you first a few paragraphs where he describes how we've lost this foundational view of listening and the consequences that come with that. He writes, somewhere along the way, we started to violate the natural order of things. Speaking our minds and asserting ourselves has taken priority over listening. We interrupt someone else because we are convinced we already know what he or she is going to say. We begin to take up more space than we allow for others. We consider ourselves experts on topics without anything more to learn. We tell God what to give rather than asking what God wants to give. We view others as projects rather than people with unique stories to be heard. We consider our great Christian task to be preaching rather than assuming the listening posture of a servant. We speak volumes but we listen in snippets. We build lives that shelter us from having to truly listen. We may move into churches and neighborhoods and friendship circles full of people whose views parallel our own, avoiding the dissonance created by contrasting voices, by constructing theological and social echo chambers. We crystallize our beliefs and cease to ask questions. What the Bible portrays as a household of faith instead becomes a scattering of encampments. People who warm themselves by their own fires, whoop with their own war cries, listen solely to their appointed leaders and only interact with the other camps when firing arrows. I think that's pretty accurate. 
He wrote that back in 2016. I think it's even more accurate today, 2023. We speak volumes, but we listen in snippets. And we need to learn how to listen better because all the talking in the world will not make our relationships what we want them to be. We have been in this series, Fixer Upper, to try to improve, remodel our relationships. We know that no relationship is perfect. They're all fixer-uppers because none of us are perfect. So far, we've looked at how to uh, improve our relationships by our words that we say. A few Sabbaths ago, we talked about being present, being there, and today, we've gotta take a close look at the priority of listening. So, maybe a good place to start would be to say we need to do a better job of listening to God. Now, we could do a whole sermon on what it means to listen to God, the various ways he reveals himself, speaks to us, maybe sometimes how it's hard for us to know when God is really speaking or not. We do not have that time today. We could do a whole series on just what it means to hear God speak. So I'd like to just give you one word, one concept to ponder when it comes to listening to God, when it comes to listening to him better. That one word is silence. Silence. It's a word, a concept that we learn about as we read a prophet who is desperate to hear from God. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles and want to go to 1 Kings 19, it'll also be on the screen. We're going to go there in a second. If there was ever anyone who seemed to be good at obeying and listening to God, it was Elijah. He even listened and obeyed God when when God commanded him to do that weird thing, an unappetizing thing of eating the food that the ravens bring, right? He takes God at his word when he announces a famine will come and trusts that he will bring the rain. And then of course, there's that epic showdown at Mount Carmel where Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, you make an altar to your so-called God and I'll make an altar to mine and we'll see who's the true God. Elijah puts his trust in God and God comes through with this pyrotechnic performance that's like straight out of a superhero movie. Fire from heaven consumes the altar and leaving no doubt in anyone's mind who the true God is. But just one chapter after that, Elijah is on a different mountain, no longer Mount Carmel, now Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai with a very different demeanor. He is no longer confident and fearless, but vulnerable and fragile. You may remember the story, some of you, if you don't, I'll I'll remind you, Jezebel, after that moment at Mount Carmel, the wife of the king has vowed to take Elijah's Elijah's life, and he is scared. Elijah is quivering in fear on the same mountain that centuries before the newly liberated Hebrews had received God's law on stone tablets. In fact, you read in uh, 1 Kings that he treks for 40 days and 40 nights from Israel back through the wilderness, reversing the paths that the Israelites walked for 40 years before crossing the Jordan. It seems like Elijah is trying to go back in time to an era when God's calling was clear, when his voice was loud and it shook the earth, when his presence was so vivid you could see it in the fire. It seems like Elijah is so desperate to hear from God, and he does. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11. 
Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went and stood out at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? All the special effects of Sinai are revisited, brought before Elijah in this terrifying parade. But this time, the Lord is not in any of that. It isn't until Elijah hears the gentle whisper, maybe we grew up with the King James Version or New King James Version, the still small voice, right? Good attempts on scholars at trying to translate, really in the Hebrew, where it just says silence. Sheer silence is what the Hebrew is communicating. In other words, Elijah, it's not until he hears the silence that he knows God is there and can hear his voice. I wonder if there is a lesson in that for us. In order to listen to God, we need to be able to listen to the silence. What would that look like, practically speaking? Well, maybe it would look like when we pray, we resist the urge to just talk all the time, to carry the conversation. Let God have a chance, a turn once in a while. Maybe that means we just sit. It might be uncomfortable at first, but we sit and we just are still and we know that he is God and we try to hear what he has to say to us. Maybe it's more like a mindset. I have a pastor friend who has this cool habit he does each day. In fact, it's at different times throughout each day. He tells me that he prays the prayer that Eli taught to Samuel. He wakes up in the morning and says, speak, Lord, I am listening. Goes to work, gets into his office, and he says, speak, Lord, I am listening. And he pauses on his way home to, to pick up the kids from school. Speak, Lord, I am listening. As he lays his head down to sleep at night, speak, Lord, I am listening. He tells me it doesn't mean that he instantly or audibly hears God speak to him. He says, but it puts me in a posture, in a mindset to let God have the agenda, to be receptive to where the Holy Spirit might be leading me that day. Maybe that's what it looks like. Maybe listening to the silence looks like turning the volume down on all the things that are competing with God's voice in our lives unplugging as hard as it is from all our personal technology, scheduling as hard as, as it is, just time to do nothing but just be with God. Because a loud, overcrowded, hyperactive life, I think is the antithesis to the listening life. In his book called Directions, uh, James Hamilton tells the following story. He said, before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. I don't know, Dr. Bob, is that, is that true? Back in the day, oh, sorry. <laughs> Just making sure you're listening, that's all. I think we, okay, I'm joking, okay. Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. 
Ice houses had these thick walls, no windows, and tightly fitted doors. In winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, large blocks of ice were cut, hauled to the ice houses, and then covered with sawdust to try to insulate it. Often the ice would last well into the summer. One man who was working there in this one ice house lost a valuable watch. He searched diligently for it, uh, carefully raking through the sawdust, but didn't find it. His fellow workers came in, also looked, but their efforts too proved futile. One small boy who heard about the fruitless search slipped into the ice house during the noon hour and soon emerged with the watch. Amazed, the men asked him how he found it. I closed the door, the boy replied. I lay down in the sawdust and kept very still and very quiet. And then I could hear the clock ticking. Often the question is not whether or not God is speaking, but whether we are being still and quiet enough to hear it. Are you listening to the silence in your prayer life? I want to share one more insight from Adam McHugh's book as he's commenting on this story of Elijah. He says, why would God speak so softly in a world that so often needs a blaring wake-up call? I have concluded that God's speech patterns indicate how important he considers our listening. If God shouted, listening would not be required, but a whisper forces us to pay attention, even strain to hear his voice. A whispered message assumes that the listener is in proximity to the speaker. The closeness required by a whisper requires that we are in close relationship with the Lord aware of his presence, walking with him and poised to do what he says. Could it be that God often likes to speak to us in the silence because he longs for us to be close to him in close proximity, walking with him? He wants nothing more. Learning to listen to God, I think, means learning to listen to the silence. Well, maybe now for the rest of our message, we should turn our focus to the importance of listening to others. Could there be a more important thing for us to do in our marriages, in our family relationships, in our church family relationships than listen to each other? Dietrich Bonhoeffer really puts into perspective just how important listening is. He says this, Christians, especially ministers, often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That is the one service they think they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. And then he goes on to say, but he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer able to listen to God. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life, and in the end, there is nothing left but spiritual chatter. It is important for us to listen to others. And to help us in doing that, I want to bring your attention again to just one word, one concept for us to ponder. Slow. If we are going to listen better to each other, 
we need to be slow. It's a concept we get also from God's word. When we read that practical wisdom found in the book of James, you may know the text, James chapter one, verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We are called to be slow, slow to speak. In other words, restrain from interjecting that is so hard, making quick judgments, I do that, or dispensing fast advice, I like to give it. We are to be slow to speak. And then it really starts to, to dig in to the places that I struggle. We have to be slow to anger, he says. I don't know about you, but when I am angry, the last thing I want to do is listen. I want to vent about what is upsetting me and convince others that they should be venting about it too. Anger makes me want to make the conversation all about me. Have you ever found that to be the truth in your life? It makes me judgmental, close-minded, impossible to be selfless, think of others. And even though the text isn't telling us to be slow to listen, I would argue that it's telling us to be slow listeners. Did you follow me? Maybe I need to say that a little slower. Even though the text isn't telling us to be slow to listen, you know, it's telling us to be quick to listen, I would argue that it is telling us to be slow listeners. Because if you are slow to speak, if you are slow to anger, then you have put yourself in a position to truly hear others. You have put yourself in this unhurried place where you can actually hear. In his book called Stress Fractures, Charles Swindoll writes this. He says, I vividly remember some time back being caught in the undertow of too many commitments in too few days. It wasn't long before I was snapping at my wife and our children, choking down my food at mealtimes and feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions through the day. Before long, things around our home started reflecting my poor attitude and the pattern of my hurry-up style. It was becoming unbearable. I distinctly recall after supper one evening the words of our younger daughter, Colleen. She wanted me to tell, she wanted to tell me about something important that had happened to her at school that day. And so she hurriedly began, Daddy, I want to tell you something and I'll tell you really fast. Suddenly realizing her frustration, I answered, Honey, it's okay, you can tell me and you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly and I'll never forget her answer. Well, Daddy, then listen slowly. What would happen in our families, in our marriages, in our community of faith if we listened slowly to each other? McHugh says that we would go from changing to be a family or a community that listens for things, that listens to people. One more quote from his book. He says, to listen for is what he calls deconstructive. We are breaking people down into parts. We listen to collect data. We reduce people to issues or categories or positions in a debate. I think that's a real struggle in our world today. We may view them as problems to be solved, issues to be diagnosed, shortcomings to be corrected. We listen for inroads or openings to spring our thoughts on them. 
We are in danger of turning people into mere foils for our opinions. Their words simply setups for our musings. He says when we start to listen slowly, we go from that to this, to listening to. When we listen to people, however, we are embracing them as whole, no longer deconstructing, but the opposite. Not fractions, even if they only offer a small part of themselves to us, that part is attached to big parts, big memories, big stories, big feelings, big losses, big dreams. To listen to is an act of construction. We help people find integration into their various parts. It is an invitation to, the other, to other people to settle in, be themselves, speak freely. It doesn't matter that their experiences are different than mine, that their background is unfamiliar to me, that they see things differently or hold different views and process emotions differently. They are welcome in my space. That's what I think listening to looks like listening slowly looks like. Imagine the kind of life-changing transformations that could happen in our relationships if we listened to each other, if we listened slowly. Don Ritchie discovered just how life-changing listening to people could be. Don lived near a place called The Gap, It is this ocean cliff in the southern part of Sydney's harbor in Australia. It is a popular visitor destination, um, but it's popular for not a great reason. It gained infamy as a suicide spot over the years. Every time someone approaches the cliff, however, Don, who lives close by, goes out and tries to make sure that they don't take their life. And he has a very effective method at stopping them. His strategy is he approaches them with a smile, asking simply, why don't you come over for a cup of tea? (coughs) Accepting this offer, these people would be invited into his home where they would have a chance to just sit there and he would ask questions and listen. No counseling, no advising, no prying, just one human being lending a listening ear to another. Some of these people, he said, had mental illnesses or physical illnesses. Some were just going through a rough patch in life, but a listening ear was apparently all they needed to change their minds from jumping and go back home. Over the years, uh, Don passed away about 10 years ago, but over the years, he stopped at least 160 people from jumping. That's the official estimate. The real number is said to be 400, according to his family. What a life-changing impact because Don chose to listen. What kind of impact will happen in your life, in my life, in the life of your family, in the life of, of your relationships, in the life of this church if we choose to listen? As we think of all that you have done for us, the way you have first loved us, the way you have just brought healing and hope into our life, Lord. But Lord, if we say that we love you, then that means we are gonna prioritize listening to you. So help us to listen to the silence. Help us to turn down the volume of the competing voices that are drowning you out. Lord, I am amazed when I read scripture and I see the way how you prioritize listening to us. What a gift. You are the king that listens. 
I think about in Psalms 86 when the psalmist has the audacity to say, bow your ear to me, God, and listen. And you do it because you love us. Lord, we want to return the favor. We want to listen to you. We want to be listening people. And Lord, we know you have called us to listen to the other image bearers that you have created. Lord, help us to to not go into conversations thinking that we need to be heard, but that we would listen to others. May you be our example as we do that. Thank you for the gift of listening. May we do it better. In Jesus' name, amen.